Today's episode of Insufficient Facts is brought to you by Super Ordinary, an audio drama about a young girl who discovers she has superpowers. There's only one problem. They're connected to her panic attacks. Stick around at the end of the episode for a sneak peek of the show. Welcome to this episode of Insufficient Facts. For the best listening experience, we recommend joining us on our website at insufficientfacts.com, where you can follow along with our notes and sources throughout the episode. There, you can also submit questions to the panelists about the episode by clicking on Ask the Panelists. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Insufficient Facts, our science-based podcast. We're super happy to have you here with us today. Um, If it's your first time, welcome. Thanks for uh, finding us and picking up the podcast. If it's not your first time, welcome back. We're glad to have you. Um, Just in case, we'll give you a reintroduction to who we are in in case you've forgotten our names or maybe this is your first time listening. So I am Christiane. I'm Raquel. And I'm Kyle. And we have a super interesting topic for you today. It's um, a wild one. It's a wild one. It's a tiny one. It's one that's and a huge one. A at huge the same one. Time. Yeah, it scales, you know, across the board. Yeah. Um, and it's one that we we are pretty excited to bring to you today. So our overall theme is going to be the microbiome. And if you don't know that word or haven't heard it or are not quite comfortable with it yet, don't worry. I will define it for you in a short minute. Um, but we'll get, let me give you the lay down, the low down on like how our segment structure is going to be today. So I'll, I'll give you an intro as to like, what the heck is a microbiome? What are you learn about today? Why are scientists so obsessed with this idea of a microbiome? Um, and why am I being suddenly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, why am I? Fascinated? Not fascinated, but why, why are companies trying to sell me so many oh, probiotics? Yeah, there's so suddenly. many ads for <laughs> probiotic your microbiome. Yeah, and yeah just walk into any Whole Foods. There's tons of probiotics. Yeah, and wh- it's why? The buzz. Why mm-hmm. is that a thing? Well, we'll kind of get into that for you today. Um, so we'll start out with a recent headlines of um, microbiome-related research, um, and you know, you are what you eat, and and you know, that's kind of the saying, but mm-hmm. it turns out to be a lot more true in some ways than you might even think. So we'll kind of delve into the brut, the brain gut. I tried to combine those. But the, the brut. <laughs> the, the brain, brain gut. Brut. The, <laughs> the brain yeah. gut connection. And then after our recent headline segment, we'll kind of work you through our science fiction science fact segment that Kyle is going to lead us through. Um, what's what's some fiction? What's some, some actual fact about gut microbiomes and our microbiome? research recently and what's a little bit more I'm going to hit you with the facts. Yeah, There's a lot of information out there. There is. So we're going to data dump on you for... Distill it down. Yeah. So after our recent headlines segment, uh, Raquel is going to lead you through our bizarre science segment where she's going to tell you about how bacteria made me do it, but Mm -hmm. it's more they made you eat it (laughs) rather than do it. They're controlling your cravings, if you will. Um, And then finally, I'll lead us through our classic segment where I'm going to tell you a little bit of the history about microbes, these tiny little itty bitty things and how we even know that they're a thing and who was the first person to realize that there are all these tiny, tiny living organisms all around us. So I'll give you sort of a history lesson in that regard. And as usual, we end our segments, um, our podcasts with uh, lifting the veil segment where we're giving you an insight into our lives as grad students and what's going on with us. Spoiler alert. A the lot. struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, the mid-quarter fatigue has hit I hard. wish my microbiome oh, would just take over at this point. I yeah. know. Put it on autopilot and just be like, just eat and sleep and, and you know, pretend to be working. That would be great. <laughs> <Pretend>. <laughs> Let me sleep in the meantime. Okay, so 
first of all, this word I've been throwing around, microbiome this, microbiome that. What what the heck is a microbiome? Yeah, what is it? I mean, you know, this is like a word that uh, that we love to hear and use as scientists, but maybe is not super familiar for those of you. It's, um, it's hitting the mainstream a little bit. It mm-hmm. is. It is starting to. Quite I'm, a lot. I'm, I want now there to be a movie about, you you know, the gut controlling taking over someone's brain. Well, and there was an episode in that. Rugrats when, uh, <laughs> when Chucky eats a, a watermelon and they shrink down and they go in and try to find the watermelon seed. <laughs> well, you know, there's always the magic school bus, too, for going yeah, that Yeah, the magic route. school yeah, bus. That's true, Ms. That's true. Yeah. I need an action-packed, like, Michael Bay movie, though, with, oh, with, yeah, yeah. with microbes. So, microbiome, what is it? Well, it's a kind of a term that's used to describe not only all the microbes, so these tiny, tiny little um, like bacteria and organisms that live on your skin and in your gut and you know on your eyelashes and all over your body, really, and also mm-hmm. all over pretty much your every surface. They live yeah. all over me. They they're all over. You I'm are covered. Filled with I'm microbes. covered with bacteria. <laughs> but they they are actually a healthy part of our every lives, and we rely on them for a lot of things, a lot more than you might actually think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they actually make up if you're worried about your weight, you can blame it on the bacteria because <laughs> they actually make up quite a bit of your, your body mass. That extra five pounds? Yeah, it's Microbe- bacteria. Yeah, don't yeah. count it. Just yeah. write it off. Yeah, <laughs> you just subtract five pounds from your from your weight because that's bacterial weight. Um, so micro- microbes are, are tiny organisms. You can think of it as bacteria. Sometimes um, there are things like tiny amoeba, which are single-celled organisms. Mm-hmm. But they're mm-hmm. just, um, the microbiome is the microbes and their cousins and neighbors that they interact with and all the and things. And the molecules they produce. Yeah, all the things that they eat and all the things that they produce. So this term, um, it's kind of been debated as to the origin of it. Some people have um, misattributed it, but really it actually goes back um, to as far back as 1988 in a paper by Whips et al. And when we say Whips et al., the first author's last name is Whips, and then et al. means the rest of the authors. So this was a 1988 paper about mycoparasitism, which is basically a plant-based parasitism, uh, fungal parasitism. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that, listen to episode two of our podcast. Yeah, where we talk about about, fungus among us. Well, Mm -hmm. this is a fungus among plants and not among us. Um, But they use this term microbiome, and they define the microbiome as a characteristic microbial community occupying a reasonably well-defined habitat, which has distinct, here we go, physiochemical properties. Uh, (laughs) The term thus not only refers to the microorganisms involved, but also encompasses their theater of activity. That's such a beautiful description. I know they did it. It is so like well. a wonderful symphony. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. So there's you can think of it. The the metaphor that I'm going to keep using throughout this episode is think of Horton hears a who, right? So in Horton hears a who, you have this wonderful elephant Horton, and he has these giant ears, and he starts hearing this yelling from somewhere that he just can't figure out, like this noise, this noise. He finally pinpoints it. This tiny little whole world lives. Perfect description. Yeah. So, and that's you can you can think of basically we're Horton in this instance. We're the big things that are looking down on these tiny but very active communities mm-hmm. of of microbes and their microbiome, right? Everything that they interact with, their whole town essentially. So, Horton here's a who is my metaphor yeah. of the day for the microbiome. We've got some nice good good feely type of productions that have come out of concepts related to the microbiome. <laughs> yeah. Right. We need some action. We yeah, need some we need some like sinister sci-fi Arnold thriller. Schwarzenegger <laughs> punching, you know, giant amoebas because they're <laughs> on the edge of your seat. Yeah. Okay, so 
Um, let me tell you some recent work that's been done, like looking into the microbiome. So there was an article recently um, in Science Magazine that was talking about, do gut bacteria make second homes in our brains? Dun, dun, mm. dun. Mind-blowing. <laughs> yes, really, and mind-altering. <laughs> yeah. So um, the scientists, um, they are neuroanatomists, so um, they look at the anatomy of our brains, essentially. Um, and um, these bacterial scientists who study bacteria, they basically got together and they were um, looking at these, these scans of recently deceased human brains. brains yeah yes. that had been donated that the bodies had been donated to science so they've been studying these brains um, and they'd been doing these really high definition scans of the brains and they had found these weird particles that they didn't quite understand what they were or, or if it was contamination or mm-hmm. what was going on um, so they kind of ignored them at first but yeah. then they they delved deeper into this and looked at more <laughs> more brains mm-hmm. and more brain scans. And they found that actually these little tiny particles and and cells that they were seeing were actually bacteria that they saw pretty repeatedly throughout a, a, a range of these um, brains that they were looking at through these scans. And like they, they saw, saw them in all the brains. Yes, healthy and um, like all those over the who brain. had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yes. So they had mm-hmm. they had um, patients who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia who had whose bodies that had been donated to science, and they mm-hmm. had um, those who had. No diagnosed um, mental. So they compared issues. healthy and unhealthy brains. Yeah, and they found these bacteria in in a lot of these brains. They and haven't done any analysis to differentiate whether there are differences. Yeah, but they have looked in both. They um, have seen it in, up here in both, mm-hmm. right? And and they, you know, if it was just one brain, you could maybe write it off to maybe the specimen was contaminated. But then they started looking at at fresher corpses, fresher bodies, um, ones that had very little chance of contamination and, and yeah. very recently deceased. And they were finding these bacteria um, really repeatedly. And it turns out after they um, consulted their bacterial expert that mm-hmm. these are bacteria that are commonly found in your gut, yeah. which is amazing because our brain is like you can think of it like this this sphere that is like protected at all costs right it has this magical barrier that is trying to keep out any viruses and anything that might harm it or cause um, inflammation because it's a really essential part of us yeah Yeah. when you think of bacteria in the brain you automatically think somebody is very very sick yeah so that's part of the reason why this is shocking yeah (laughs) they call this the hit of the week there there was a recent society for neuroscience meeting in san diego and they presented their work on this. And right, and oh, it got cool. everyone in a tizzy nuts, because yeah. it's like bacteria in the brain that seems totally... In healthy brains, mm-hmm. yeah. It seems totally against um, all that we know, but it's, mm-hmm. and especially because there's this big barrier that usually prevents things like that from crossing over into neural tissue, right? Mm-hmm. So your nerves and um, the kind of coverings to your nerves. But there they were. They were there and seemed to be living happily and weren't causing n- any noticeable like inflammation or, or response. Yeah. Um, so this is very preliminary. They didn't want to like make any big, you know, conclusions. F- yeah, yeah. <laughs> conclusions. They, they said this is just what we've been seeing, observing. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. So we're going to look at it some more. But that's um, some recent work that's been done. Yeah. That is really shocking to think that Unreal. some of the same bacteria that's in our guts is also potentially in our brains. Yeah. And one fascinating thing is there are these cells in the brain that kind of help manage the energy production and help support the neuronal cells, which mm-hmm. are most associated with actual firing and cognition. Mm-hmm. And it seems like these bacterial cells are localizing to these 
energy-producing cells. Mm-hmm. So is, maybe they're getting some of that energy. Or helping. Or helping produce, produce energy. Who knows? Oh. Yeah. yeah. So lots of mysteries still, even about our, our very own brains. Well, this is cool because I've heard the idea that like you have a second brain in your gut, but this is yeah. like literally a gut in your brain. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like every day there seems to be more and more connections between yeah. the gut and the brain. It's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, Raquel's going to really give us the lowdown on some of how, in this instance, we had gut bacteria in our brains, but there's yeah. also instances of other things going on in our gut that kind of control mm-hmm. our our behavior. cravings and our behavior. So I'm going to let Raquel uh, take it away with our bizarre um, science segment so she can kind of explain to you a little bit more about what the heck's going on in my gut. So what scientists did was they used Drosophila, which I love because mm. this is an example of diversity. These are flies. fruit flies. Yes. yes. They're like yeah. um, studied so much. They're People... in your house right now probably. I yeah. know I've got a couple because I had some bananas. Yeah. But the Drosophila, so this particular species of, of fly is studied, is is used in a ton of scientific yeah. studies. Like yeah. it is one of the, other than like the, the mouse, it is probably one of the most the common. most used yeah study system in, in science. So Drosophila, yes, are flies. Mm-hmm. They're using them. To explore dietary choices based on the microbial composition. So the interesting thing that they did here is they had three groups of flies. Mm-hmm. One group had all of the amino acids they need. And to re- refresh everyone's memory, amino acids are essential for making the proteins. Yes. And as we said in a previous episode, we are just fleshy bags of proteins. <laughs> yes, we are. So you need those amino acids. And some of them your body creates, but a lot of them we get through our diet, through what we eat. Yes. Yeah. And this is the same for human beings. Mm-hmm. And with these... Second group, so our first group has all the amino acids they need. The second group has some of them, but not all. And the third group of flies has specific amino acids removed from their diet. So they're controlling what the flies Mm -hmm. have available to Mm -hmm. eat. Next, they kept the flies on that diet for three days. Mm -hmm. And after, they presented them with a choice. (laughs) So they have their regular diet that either has all the amino acids, some but not all, or specific ones removed, and then they have another option that has yeast. And yeast is a high-protein product. You can think of it as, like, the ultimate treat mm-hmm. for a drosophila. It's super tempting to have this high-protein. It's a very high-value. It's high like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're missing amino acids. Yes. Yeah, so what they found was that these flies, the ones that lacked amino acids, whether or not it was some of them or a specific one, they went straight for the yeast. And so that... It's like me in front of a bowl of ice cream. If you give me, like, the healthy, you know, Mm -hmm. like, whole wheat toast and, you know, whatever, or, like, ice cream sundae with brownies, it's like, listen, the caloric value of one of these is much higher than the other. It's my gut. My gut is driving me for the higher calorie food item. Yeah, except in this case, it was more... Your example, Kashan, super relatable, but Probably the flies not. were going for the more healthy yes, option with this one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they, they went for what could supplement the pieces of their diet that they were missing. Mm-hmm. The next thing they did, which was really interesting, was they gave some of the flies a cocktail of bacteria. It was five different species. And what they did was observed whether or not they would still make those dietary choices. Mm-hmm. And what they found was that the flies that had this bacterial supplement, you can call it a fly probiotic, 
They no longer yeah cult for flies. <laughs> yes, they no longer went after the yeast. Yeah, because they were getting everything they needed. It seems so. Yeah, so oh, it, very cool. If you didn't ever think about flies making choices and that being you know an active area of research, it absolutely is. You yeah. can tell you know and and prove that that flies consistently make choices depending on what their diet is composed of and mm-hmm. if they're missing any of these essential amino acid groups. Yeah. One of the benefits of studying Drosophila or flies is that they have pretty short lifespans. Mm-hmm. They reproduce very quickly yep. and you can get lots and lots of them. Yes. So that can help you parcel out um, nuances and Right, what's random behavior. versus what's, mm-hmm. you know, an, an actual trend or a, a significant result. Very cool. Yeah. Big science. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So flies and diets, you know, mm-hmm. it might have. And th- this kind of stuff, the reason we use flies is also, like Raquel said, is they, they're they a good model organism. They reproduce quickly. They're relatively inexpensive to keep. Yeah. Um, they have been studied for years and years, so we know a lot about them. But also a lot of times these things, you know, we can start with flies and then build up to mm-hmm. you know more complex study systems. Yeah. So this you could do this potentially in mice next, right? And I mm-hmm. think a lot of this microbial microbiome work has been done um, in mice systems yeah. as well. And then look at the implications of maybe how that affects humans. So yeah. it's all there's all there's levels to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's levels to it. So we can build up. To and these that's things. how science always is. It is. It always is like that. You kind of start small, do some proof of concept, and. Build up right towards so, larger larger organisms. So there there's some distance between comparing the influence of the microbiome on dietary choices in flies, right? Comparable to humans, you can't immediately say, "Well, this happened in flies, ga- yeah, yeah. yeah, and so it has to apply to humans." No, 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 that's not what we're saying mm-hmm. at all. But we're saying if we see something interesting happening in the fly mm-hmm. microbiome or in you know their dietary choices then maybe that has implications on a broader sense, but there's yeah. more work that needs to be done to kind of prove that, you know, without a doubt. So that's that's part of the job. But it's little steps. It's still a building on on building on building on our knowledge. So yeah. speaking of knowledge, though, let's, uh, Kyle, I'm, I really need to know, like, what is what's the truth about the microbiome? Because yeah, I mean, I'm being yeah. sold all these probiotics, and I don't really know if they're doing anything. I drink a lot of kombucha. <laughs> I think that's helping me, but maybe it's just in my head, and I just Love like kombucha. kombucha. You can stick with the kombucha, but there's a lot more going on in your body than just having a bubbly tea. Yes, mm-hmm. so science fiction um, or science fact. Let, let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, as a person, you're not just a person. You're not just a homo sapien walking across this earth. You have an entire ecosystem that is with you. It's inside of you and it's mm-hmm. around you. And these are friendly colonizers for the most part. It, it includes bacteria, fungi, protozoa, viruses, and... Um, All sorts of yeah, things you might think of as creepy, crawly, but actually really good for you. You actually really depend on them. And there's actually 100 times more non-human DNA in you than there is human DNA. So think about that. You're If someone were to randomly take a patch of skin off of you and biopsy it or you know whatever and try and sequence it for dna there's chances are there's going to be just as much if not more microbial dna than your actual dna yeah i mean there's a hundred trillion microbes in you right now from five thousand different species and the total weight of that is about five pounds so that's why we were saying you can take (laughs) off five pounds of whatever you weigh right anytime (laughs) someone asks you your weight or you go to the doctor and they weigh you you can be like can you just you know, take off five pounds. Plus from or minus. <laughs> minus. Minus five yeah. pounds. And I, I try, really try to get an answer on whether or not, like, what is a healthy microbiome. Mm-hmm. 
presumably That's there a good is, question. but there isn't really a consensus on what makes a healthy microbiome. All we, we know to some extent, like what is an unhealthy microbiome mm-hmm. by looking at people with certain maladies and diseases and mm-hmm. symptoms and saying like, oh, this is very different from a healthy subject. Right. But one healthy subject to the next may be slightly different. And so, um, but one one part of the microbiome that I got really interested in is how do we acquire it? Where does it come from? And this actually goes way, way back. I mean, this yes. starts with the mom. And it even can go back to the grandmother mm-hmm. influencing the little baby. Right. So if you didn't know, you aren't born, like, when you're developing as a fetus, you don't get, you know, seeded with microbiomes at when you're still in the womb. So you're basically a completely microbial-free, as far as we know, mm-hmm. organism when you're still developing in the womb. But these things are so essential for you know, eating and living that you have to accumulate them pretty quickly once you are born. So Yeah, I've I found some papers that suggested that maybe there's some microbiome interaction with the mom and, and fetus, but right. really the party gets started at birth. Yes. Yeah. And it depends how you show up to this party called life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whether you're either coming through the front vaginal? door or the back door. <laughs> no. You're crashing through the window, maybe. I don't know. You're you're evicted. You're pulled out forcefully or you kind of naturally are just like, okay, it's my time. And uh, this is I'll actually leave. one of the questions we ask when uh, conducting studies on like IBS and mm-hmm. gastrointestinal disorders. Yeah, bowel syndrome. Yeah, there's a lot of syndrome and disease. Inflammatory bowel. Like you're, there's a lot of conditions where you, it's... You have inflamed, like uh, inflamed gut. Basically, your mm-hmm. intestinal tract is really painful yeah. and inflamed, and a lot of this seems to be related to microbiome. Yeah, <laughs> one of the questions the participants will get is the mode of birth, whether or not you were born right, by exactly. C-section or va- vaginally. Because mm-hmm. you pick up diff- front door, back door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll get different. You'll get a different microbiome depending on whether, I mean, how you came into this world, and yeah. this actually has a huge bearing on um, on your life. So, for example, if you come out via a C-section, you have fewer of this type of bacteria called bacterioides. Bacteroides? Bacteroides. I think. I think it's bacteroides. Bacteroides. And and this bacteroides are very important for your gut health. And if the bacteroides, there's not enough of them, other bacteria can, can, take, can take over and yeah. start eating the lining of They're your stomach, very which is opportunistic. Yes. Yeah. But if there's enough bacteroides, then they can kind of stabilize everything. So yes. if you imagine your gut as like a party, if you invite all the right people to the party at the beginning. It's a great party for the whole party. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if if you kind of get started wrong or if things kind of get out of whack at somehow, some way, like you interrupt your diet, then. Or the, someone crashes the party. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can have party crashes for yeah. sure. Yeah. But um, it turns out you can actually, um, there's resources you can actually look at your microbiome. In the same way that you can look at your genome, like 23andMe, mm-hmm. you can um, also check out your your microbiome in your gut. Yes. The ladies can check out their microbiome in their lady parts. Yes. So you can go to U-Biome. Vaginas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not a taboo word. Yes. <laughs> so you can go to U-Biome. That's uh, U-B-I-O-M-E. And you can uh, get like a little pat. They'll send something to your house. You can mm-hmm. get the whole microbiome. So you can get like a 23andMe for your microbiome. Mm-hmm. And this is why, um, you know, in part when you take sometimes taking actually antibiotics, uh, you know, if you're sick and your doctor prescribes you antibiotics, it's necessary for you to recover. But in the process, it generally wipes out even all the healthy microbes that yeah. are living on your body or in your gut. And so that actually sometimes can actually... Uh, 
reintroduce the possibility for party crashers. Again. Yeah, that's awesome that you yes. brought that up too, because it seems like, like, of course, like probiotics are really important, mm-hmm. but really it's all like the seeding is the prebiotic part. Mm-hmm. Like, how do the microbiomes get there? You want yeah. a good start in life. And then I was yeah. wondering, like, what makes the microbiome really healthy and happy? And it seems like most experts say that if you want a healthy microbiome, you need to eat whole foods and have lots of fiber. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because the bacteria love to nibble on those little fibery parts of plants right. and raw foods. And it seems like um, some research also seems to indicate that depending on, on your diet, the actual amounts of certain microbes mm-hmm. change. So if you have an unhealthy diet of like high sugar, high fat, or... Um, you know, something that isn't necessarily high in fiber and, and veggies. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that, of course, the things that eat those, that, that sugary stuff is going to benefit from that and increase in numbers. And so you're, it's kind of this cycle of like, well, you're feeding <laughs> the microbiome. You are what you eat. Yeah, that <laughs> likes the sugary stuff. And yeah. so then you eat more of it and there's more of it. And then if you kind of like chop off, you know, and, and really reduce your sugar intake and start ingesting more fibery stuff, then that helps the... The really healthy, good for you, you know, microbes that like that fibery stuff, it helps them kind of increase in number. So these these numbers of, of microbes can fluctuate and change over your lifetime depending on your diet, depending on right. antibiotics. And even on a shorter scale. Yeah. yeah over and, the course of days. And if your microbiome goes out of whack, groups have shown that if you can take the microbiome of a lean, skinny person and put it into that of a heavier person— the heavier person will lose weight. And they've done that in mice. Mice, yes. Yeah. Germ-free mice. Right. And which so, is a really awesome resource as well. Which begs the question of, like, how do you actually change someone's microbiome? Mm-hmm. And you make a poop shake. Yes. <laughs> it's a fecal transplant. Yes. Yes, yes these are an actual thing. Um, not super common in use in practice, but mm-hmm. it seems to be gaining some traction where you can actually get a, a pill that is a Healthy from an, yeah. someone's healthy microbiome, and then you ingest that pill, and it reseeds your microbiome with a healthy a kind of composition to kind of fix maybe what's going on or help at least. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this stuff is all like pretty early stages, so yeah. like conclusively, definitively, I don't want to tell you like. <laughs> like, don't, this is not, we're not saying, like, man, if you want to lose weight, go get, like, the skinniest These types person. of strains of bacteria yeah. in your gut right now. We hope you're enjoying today's episode of Insufficient Facts. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about or a follow-up question to any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, insufficientfacts.com, and click on Ask the Panelists. You can submit your question, and we may discuss it on a future episode of the show. Now... Please enjoy the rest of the episode. This is all still just like interesting research that's being done. And some some of these results are super interesting, whether, you know, long term, mm-hmm. it helps you keep the weight off. Maybe yeah. it's a more immediate thing. We're still, you know, unraveling that. But but it turns out the microbiome can also be connected with um, at least in mice, which may extend to people mm-hmm. is autism mm-hmm. and PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so just to start with autism, um, there was a group at Caltech that had a big family of autistic-like mice. So they were kind of antisocial. They weren't. They would do repetitive squeaks. They exhibited a lot of the same behavior that an autistic kid might have. Right. So whether it's it's exactly the same, you know, that's we again. We want to tread carefully here. We don't want to say that like these were mice that definitively had autism, but they had similar. Um, 
things that are characteristic of autism um, right. in terms of, a, of on a behavioral Behavior. aspect. Yeah. So um, these mice were, you know, not ten, they're tending to be a little bit more antisocial. Um, they would like to hang out on their own. Um, so just not anything that no, we're not saying that these were autistic mice, but just that similar behaviors to what you see in in. Right, Children so the researchers kind of dove deep into these um, kind of antisocial mice, and they looked at their gut biome as well, and they found that they had leaky guts. And so their guts weren't as healthy as they could have been. And um, it also turns out that um, these autistic-ish mice had this certain chemical, and it was 50 times higher in their blood than in the normal mice. And this chemical that they found was very similar to a chemical found in autistic children. Not the exact same chemical, but similar. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to feed these mice, the unhealthy ones, bacterioides, and a lot of their antisocial symptoms went away. And they also found a little bit less of these chemicals. Yes. Fascinating. So the the amazing thing here is that the, the takeaway from this is not that, you know, we have a cure for autism or even yeah. that autism is something that needs to be cured. Like, people live very fulfilling lives with autism and don't feel any need that they want to change. Mm -hmm. um, but the interesting thing that, that you should get from this research is that it seems that our microbial composition in our gut can actually affect our behavior, yeah. mm -hmm. which is, mm -hmm. is a mind, like when I first learned this, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like I saw tiny, tiny things. Yeah. How can they be driving my, you in such a large way? Why? My behavior. Like I thought I was a free willed organism that, that I could make my own decisions. But apparently, you know, maybe some of that is driven by what I ate, you mm -hmm. know, or what I have been eating recently, mm -hmm. which is. Or what you have not been eating. What I haven't been eating, yeah. what I'm lacking, which is, you know, maybe when people say, you know, I feel I'm so much, I have so much more energy and I feel so much better when I eat healthy mm -hmm. or when you're depressed, you're craving, you know, like sweets. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not, you know, maybe the seems influenced by that. Yeah, which is, you know, unbelievable to think about that there's this connection, that there's such a strong connection between mm -hmm. behavior and yeah, yeah. The I mean, we've, within you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've always said like what you eat is what you are, but mm -hmm. maybe it's actually what you eat feeds what you are. Right, yeah. and which is <laughs> crazy to think about. So that's we definitely wanted to bring that to your attention because, you know, you know, who could have who would have ever thought like 10, 20 years ago? If you had mentioned this as an idea, people would have like, laughed sick. at you. <laughs> yeah, they've got microbiome wasn't known until like you've got microbes in your gut. Ago. You're yeah. sick. You need help. Yeah, we need to get rid of those immediately. Yeah. Yeah. But no, you want you want those guts. You want those gut microbiomes. And, and just to conclude, you really want to focus on prebiotic stuff, whole foods, fermented food is good, and um, and lots of fiber, <laughs> kimchi. And, <laughs> yeah, kimchi stuff like that, fermented yeah. soy. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, so and then obviously antibiotics. Um, I would say if your doctor prescribes them to you and, and says yes, you need to take them, definitely. take them, but mm -hmm. don't jump on, don't ask for them unless, don't like insist that you need them. Yeah. Half the time you don't. And, um, and doctors are becoming more aware of this. They too, totally are. Yeah. They're it's, reducing the amount of antibiotics when avoidable. Right. Well, and this also ties into, right, the idea of... Um, that all microbes are evil kind yeah. of thing. And and I think the problem is, is and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more in, in my segment, um, in the classic segment, but we had this, this notion that 
disease-causing agents, uh, we learned, were in part these tiny microbial organisms. So when we learned that there were diseases or sicknesses that were caused by these tiny microbes and bacteria, we there was very quickly a movement to eliminate those from our surroundings right. to avoid uh-huh. getting sick. Um, so you you know it's very common to have, especially if you have kids, young kids, and you don't want them to get sick, of course. So you you use you know all these antimicrobial like ninety nine point nine nine percent effective. Yeah, lots of Lysol, lots of like the with that gooey watery stuff. You rub all of your hands every five <laughs> seconds. Yeah, yeah, the antibacterial yeah. hand sanitizer mm-hmm. or whatever. And and you know that is the goal of that was to prevent sickness. But it turns out that there's way way more. Bacteria that are either neutral to you and really don't affect your health at all, or are you. really helping you rather than yeah, exactly. those that cause disease. Mm-hmm. So, and also overexposure to all of these antimicrobial products can create antibiotic resistance, right? Which is a big problem yeah. now, especially in hospitals. Of mm-hmm. now, these things are are evolving to be resistant to these antimicrobial, the bad antibacterial. Yeah, yeah. So. My my advice to you would also be like maybe lay off the the heavy bleach and and antibacterial stuff if nece- you know if, if possible. Yeah. Obviously, there are certain conditions where you know if you have someone who's immune suppressed um, in your family or someone who's you know a young child, you you do want to make sure that they're healthy and prevent sickness. But it's not necessary to like wipe down every surface of your house every day with uh, you know. Antibacterial wipes. My parents just put dirt in my cradle. Yeah, they just fed me spoonfuls of dirt and then you know mud pies, and I was eating yeah. worms. And but in all seriousness, I learned during this uh, segment that um, households that had a pet, yes, with with the kid growing mm-hmm. up, the kid grew up to have less allergies. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, this has yeah. been uh, shown for um, a number of years now. Is that you're less likely to have allergies if you, you grow, grow up with animals. pets. So I grew up with. Cats and dogs, and I was around horses, and I have no allergies. Same Z's. <laughs> My it body helped. doesn't encounter those yeah. dandruff particles and think, ah, yeah, <laughs> panic. And that's because her microbiome helped train her immune system. Right, which is funny actually, because I was a C-section kid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so interesting. Maybe there are always exceptions. Maybe that was the big reveal. Yeah, maybe <laughs> if I'm a C-section kid, it's better that I, I really needed to grow up with animals yeah. because that kind of helped make up the difference. Yeah. Like, can we look inside your brain really quick? <laughs> yeah. See what kind of bacteria in there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Lots of information is out there about the microbiome. I would definitely do your your own research. Look into kind of what is out there, what you should be eating. You know, don't (laughs) be careful of your sources, too. Right. Don't just go onto someone's blog who's like, I know this because I tried it. Like, yeah. yeah. And there's this woman going around on like Dr. Phil or something, Dr. Oz, who has this like fermented cabbage juice. And she's like selling this as like a like absolutely medical miracle it'll cure cancer yeah, and no, AIDS no, no, no. and it just Let's makes you go poopy it makes you go poopy long time <laughs> and people go to the hospital often for this thing so uh-huh. I don't know I, I didn't look, look up her name but I don't know if you guys have heard of her no I haven't no yeah there's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there and this woman selling the fermented cabbage is one of them yeah mm. yes yeah, so definitely we'll check data on it if you show me the data, yeah. then I I will take it. <laughs> if I can see the research article associated yeah. with this connection, then I I'm, I'm more inclined to yeah believe follow it. the data. No, this girl's full of it. Yeah, <laughs> but but personal experience, which is surprising, if she's eating this kimchi, like you'd think she would be not. Full I don't of think anything. she's eating it though. I think she's just selling it to people yeah. and making bank. It could mm. be. Well, I think also which this is, is maybe partly why um, 
Have you heard of this phenomenon? I'll say this really quick before we move on. This phenomenon of like the sugar-free gummy bears that have the artificial sweetener. Ooh. No. <laughs> so if you look at the image, you ruin gummy so bears. I'm offended. If, if you're diabetic, <laughs> right? Sugared. So if you're diabetic, you want a sugar alternative that's not sugar. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you, gummy bears are supposed to be sweet. So mm-hmm. um, there are like gummy bears that use artificial sweeteners. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that they also double as a uh, intense laxative <laughs> so people oh. have bought like big bags of these and then written amazon reviews being like i couldn't leave my house for no. two days because i <laughs> ate too many of these oh my goodness so i think something about and this has been and this is like uh, also dogs and things can't process um artificial sweeteners as well it really can make them sick so something about these artificial sweeteners i think can't be broken down by some of our gut microbiome yeah. and so it just like our body's like i can't do anything with this and yeah. so i need to get rid of it so i i wouldn't be surprised if that was some connection there so artificial sweeteners you know go go easy on them yeah. especially the chemical ones there are certain ones that are better than others um and if you think about it if we've evolved with these organisms over time that yes. means that long they time, have evolved long to digest what we eat and maybe over time they they would acquire the ability to digest these artificial sweeteners. Who knows? Well, over but, time, the ones that we've accumulated are the ones yeah. that work for us. That's yes, right. I mean, I know in my own lab during the microbial community stuff that we feed our bacteria very specific like types of sugar, yes. and they and, and they survive. Yeah. But you know, what, I mean, it begs the question of how anyone even got started looking at microbes in the first place. Right. Yeah. So, let's get into that. Let's delve into this. So let's go and switch a little gears a little bit and go into our classic section. So I can tell you a little bit about how the heck we even know that these tiny things exist, because most of them, uh, by far, most of them you cannot see with your visible eye. They're only about a micron big, which is about one fiftieth the width of a hair. Yeah, so tiny, tiny, tiny. There are some, you know... My eyes are wide. (laughs) There are very few... So instances of, of like, single-celled organisms getting large uh, are very few and far between just because it's harder to be a single-celled organism and larger. Um, There are some instances of... There's stentor. Yes, but there's also these uh, amoebas that live in the deep ocean that uh, get up to... So they're single-celled, and they get up to four inches across. What? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the unusual side of things. That's definitely not how most of them are. Most Bizarre. of them are tiny, 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 and you need a microscope to be able to see them. So, who was the first person to think, you know what? Let me look. Let me look into some uh, on my skin and see what's going on on my skin, or let me look into some water and see what's what's in a water droplet. Well. Let me introduce you. So I'm going to be talking about a number of things repeatedly through this segment. But one, a lot of this information um, and a lot of more more information about the gut microbiome, I highly, highly recommend. I've been talking about this book forever. Um, a book by Ed Young, who's um, a science journalist who's currently at The Atlantic. He wrote a book called I Contain Multitudes. Um, and he has a great just he totally takes you through the whole history of this as well as the research. And he... Uh, if anything that we said today was interesting to you, I highly recommend picking up his book. It's really digestible. Ha ha. Got microbiome. It's very digestible, very easy to read, um, entertaining, um, very informative. I think he has a great voice. Um, so I would highly recommend picking up his book. But some of this information that I'm going to tell you today um, is partly from his book or sources that he cites in his book, um, which which is fantastic. So. Um, I Contain Multitudes is the name of the book. Ed Young is the author. So 
who was the first person that we know of to really find out about these tiny microbial organisms? Well, I would like to introduce you to a man by the name of, okay, I'm going to try my best to pronounce his last name, Antony van Leeuwenhoek. He's nice. Dutch. That's He's, good. Yeah, yeah, that was not bad. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> I tried my best. I want to, I want to, I'm... Honor his name. Yes, exactly. In his memory, yes. Antony van Leeuwenhoek. Um, and so to spell that, uh, in case you want to look him up, so Antony is um, similar to Antony from Queer Eye. Shout out to Antony, my boy, my <laughs> sweetheart. Except he has an I and um, this Antony has a Y. So A-N-T-O-N-Y. Antony Von V-A-N. Leeuwenhoek is L-E-E-U-W-E-N-H-O-E-K. Whew. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Antony Von Leeuwenhoek is a Dutch lens maker who was living in the city of Delft uh, in around the 1630s. And he was... 1630s. 30s. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Way back Sorry, in the day. Continue. Back, back. Back in time, yes. So, in the 1630s, this guy he um, he was almost he he was a did a number of things. He was like a tradesman. He um, was kind of a, like an amateur. Not I don't even want to say amateur scientist. He was a fantastic scientist, but he um, wasn't necessarily associated with any university for a good part of his career. It was a hobby. Yeah, it was kind of what he did as it wasn't his main job. It wasn't how he, he made. Uh, money. He was a a tradesman by craft, so he would actually um, make things. And one of the things that he was really good at making were these really amazing lenses that um, could help you would basically put into microscopes to magnify what you were looking at, right? So um, a microscope is only as good as the lenses that it has in it to Mm -hmm. magnify what you're Mm -hmm. looking at. And at this point, microscopes had been invented, but the lenses that were around at the time had only maybe up to 50 times magnification, which is still pretty good, but Mm -hmm. not quite good enough to see down to the microbial level, to see these tiny microbes in in water or in dirt. So um, Leeuwenhoek, unfortunately, his his exact methodology and, and the way that he made these lenses has been lost, um, but he was general, very secretive about it. He was he? very secretive about it. Yeah, he didn't really. Obviously, like if he was the only one who could make them, it was good for him because he could make. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of had that corner of the market um, all to himself. So he, but I don't think he ever taught it to anyone, or you know, it just did, did not survive. His methodology did not survive through the times, but. It was probably because he, he wasn't sure what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> he did it once, like, and I was like, I'm just going to try this. Yeah. So. He made these lenses that um, he could basically have a hand lens that he would hold with these these glass lenses in them. And they were so much better than anything else at the time that they could allow him to see things with up to 270 times magnification. So way head and shoulders above any of the other lens makers out there. And he was a really curious guy. So not only did he have the talent to like craft these lenses um, to really look at things up close, but he was super interested by what he was seeing. So he would just go look at blood cells and skin cells and anything he could like kind of peer through, uh, peer at with his his compound, his lens, he was looking at it. So um, one day he, and he was really obsessed with what he was seeing, so he would meticulously describe um you know, and write down what he was seeing and do these illustrations. So he was kind of the whole package in that, like, he could m- make the materials and the methodology to look at these things, but he was also really interested in what he was 
looking at. So he meticulously described them. So uh, definitely a, a consummate scientist and, and biologist. So he one day he goes to his uh, the lake that's nearby. And he's, you know, what, I'm going to look at some lake water. So he looks at some lake water through his amazing lenses and he finds all these things that are moving about in this just this one drop of water. He just looks and he sees a whole community of things moving around in different shapes and they're all, you know, going different directions. And Honestly, if I were him, I thought I would have thought I was crazy. Right. Like, am I did I are these aliens? take a drug yeah. or something today? What's going on? Right. Because no one knew that there was any life in these like tiny droplets of water. So he he goes and he sees all this life that's occurring in in you know, the lake water. And these are the first like protozoa, tiny organisms that are are observed as far as we know by um, a human being. So before this point, we hadn't known that this whole other world existed until yeah. we had the tools to look at it and observe it and, yeah. and record it down, right? Like this whole world around us. Right. We didn't even know it. And, and just like the microbiome, like the microbiome itself, we've known about, you know, at least that of tiny microbial organisms since, you know, the, the 1600s. 1600s. Yeah. But the actual concept of how and, and working through the science of how we are interacting with these things yeah. has really only picked up. A lot of traction in the past several decades. Now we have tools to yes. explore those questions. And it's all about the tools, right? Yep. The tools of the trade, being able to do what you do and do it well. So he um, was fantastic and he was like describing these things and drawing pictures of all these tiny wiggling creatures. And he would um, send off these descriptions to like his friends at the university and like the National Science Academy in the Netherlands. Um, so it took a while to kind of <laughs> warm people up to this idea um, because a lot of them, right, it's like seeing is believing. And if yeah. they didn't have one of his very amazing lenses, mm -hmm. then they wouldn't be able to see any of these things. So yeah. it definitely took time to kind of work people over as to this idea that, no, it's not just in water, like rainwater, everything. We're just seeing this, these tiny microbes everywhere. Yeah. Um, and eventually, you know, it, it did get him quite a bit of acclaim. Um, for his contributions to science once people realize, holy moly, we've been missing a whole big piece of the puzzle of life on Earth as we know it. Uh, and, and if you think about it, like, this is the, the majority of life on Earth yeah. are these small things mm -hmm. that we had been missing for so much of our existence, right? I think it's about three, if you were to take all of the bacteria on Earth together, it would be 3,000 times the weight of all humans on Earth. Yeah. Which is wild. Wild. Absolutely wild. So Antony von Leeuwenhoek really opened the door to our, you know, help us understand what was happening in this tiny world and allowing us to see it and observe it for the first time. So definitely you should, he had, an, he's an amazing guy. You should definitely look him up if you're interested. Um, again, I would recommend reading I Contain Multitudes if you're interested in more. Unfortunately, the story after this goes that, you know, once people realized that there were all these tiny microbes, they quickly realize that some of these things are disease causing, uh, as we mentioned before, and that mm -hmm. kind of, you know, there are some pretty intense periods of, of sickness and that occurred in history after that. So there be kind, of, kind of came this movement of, of, well, microbes are bad and disease causing, so we have to eliminate them. So luckily, we're starting to move past that now and understand that it's, it's a complicated relationship. Some of them are bad, but most of them are, are not bad, mm -hmm. for us at least. Yeah. So We walk a fine line we with do. our microbiome. We Life do. is all about balance. It is. You know, I, there's, it's all gray territory. It's not completely black and white. You yeah. know, <laughs> we can't, you can't make these 
driving, you know, statements about blanket statements about all oh, microbes, you know, yeah. we've got to get rid of them. Well, mm-hmm. you know, that actually could be negatively impacting your quality of life. So yeah. keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, uh, I contain multitudes. Ed Young, shout out to him. I would love to meet him that one day. That would make a good <laughs> book club. I know. It is definitely one I want to do for our book club. Uh, in case you didn't know, though, we are currently reading The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert. And if you want to join in on our discussion, you can join us at insufficientfacts.com, uh, where we discuss a new chapter every week. But I Contain Multitudes is definitely on my list or our list of books that we're interested in, in including for future book club reading books. But that is definitely high up there. Yeah. Um, and you can follow Ed Young on Twitter, too. So that's kind of my little introduction to the history of how we even know about these tiny things. Um, let's talk about our Lifting the Veil segment. What's yeah. what's going on in everybody's lives? Like, what has happened recently? Too much. Too much. <laughs> I, I've been grading midterms this past weekend. How your students do? They're good. They're good. I think they, you know, it's, it's for a lot of them, they're freshmen. So it's their first ever quarter in college mm. and sometimes, you Aww. know, for their first round of exams. So and so they're, yeah. they're understandably like concerned about their grades and mm. it's a whole new experience. So I think they're doing absolutely fine. You know, I taught them yesterday in lab some if while loops and coding and, um, they are really getting good at coding. Like I taught them this really essential part of coding and then I just stand back and they like worked on it and talked to each other and they barely needed me. And I was like, oh, you're growing up so fast. <laughs> I just, uh, you don't need me anymore. You're a great instructor. That's what that's indicating. <sighs> yeah. But um, while I was grading, I didn't mean that to sound bragging. I'm like, uh, no, I, I don't think I'm a, a great. <laughs> that wasn't a yes. I'm a great instructor. I was like, oh, no, they're, they're doing really well. I think it's mostly the students are really good. Um, but while I was grading, I needed to get out of the house. And so I, I went to the cat cafe here nice. in Los Angeles for an hour and a half yeah. over the weekend to pet some adoptable cats and grade midterms. There's a cat cafe? Oh, Whoa, yeah, there is. I saw this on yeah, your Instagram. So what's your Instagram handle? C. C.J.A.C.Q.U.E. 94, I Yeah, think? if you ever want to catch Christian hanging out with cats grading papers. <laughs> they were so cute. Oh, my God. I wanted to leave with so many of them. Yeah, it's c.jacque94 is my Instagram handle um, where you can see the cats. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go again. Like, it's inevitable <laughs> that I'm going to go back to this cat cafe. So you can see the cats at the cat cafe. But there is only one in Los Angeles right now. But, yeah. Mm, very cool. That was fun. What yeah. about you, Raquel? What's going on? Oh, man. I have been working on a project with a group of other graduate students at UCLA through the Student Advisory Council. I've mentioned this mm-hmm. before. The Tech. project we are working yeah, yeah. Project we're working on now is addressing some of the concerns amongst graduate students with getting paid on time. Mm. I don't know if you may have experienced this as a TA, Christian, but it UC seems to be path. <laughs> Oh God. It's a Been common a theme. Yeah. We're we're working on Figuring out where the errors are being made, collecting yeah. some data on that, what departments, and it's been trying to troubleshoot challenge. and figure out how we can streamline that. Yeah, yeah. So that's Oof. something I'm, I'm really glad, excited about. I'm glad about. we have people, you know, actually working on it though, because yeah. like it, it is not good that people weren't paid on time or paid properly. But yeah. anyway, that's a whole whole thing mm-hmm. that we can maybe talk about at a later date. Yeah. But the UC is a big system and it's complicated and challenging yeah especially so like when you come in as a first year your pay is all standard because it's coming from one place but yeah. after that you get paid from different sources so yeah 
things can get a little jumbled up. Mm-hmm. It's just a reality. It gets complicated real yeah. quick. Yeah. So we're working on it, which I, I hope we'll be able to implement some mm-hmm. good changes. Yep. And what about you, Kyle? Yeah. Um, I'm frustrated with how slow my research is going. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone. You are not alone. No. When I was in Woods Hole this summer, which was an incredible experience, you could do so much work in and two like, weeks. Yeah. You could go from knowing literally nothing about a topic, and then at the end of two weeks, you could like give a really decent conference talk. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew nothing about marine fungi, for example, <laughs> and I gave a whole talk on how they can interact with each other and affect each other's growth. And that was just like me, like two weeks, like hanging out, yeah, doing work with all my incredible colleagues. And now I'm at USC, and I also have incredible colleagues, but I don't know like where my time is going. <laughs> that's always what happens. I don't know what's going that's, on here. That's the way of the I'm world. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I came in on our recent holiday to get a couple hours of my own research done just because I was like, I don't have time to do this yeah. otherwise. So yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the way of the world. Uh, well, that's at least the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, that's the way the cookie crumbles. It's. Uh, I have so many crumbles right now. <laughs> <laughs> but still a cookie somewhere amongst all Humpty those crumbles. Dumpty with your research. Yeah, the entropy is definitely fighting against the crumble. Yeah. <laughs> it's fighting against me. Things are becoming more and more chaotic. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll control it. We can control the chaos. Bring it back. We got this. Balance. Yeah. Balance, guys. So hopefully you are finding some balance in your lives as well. Hopefully yeah. uh, you found our topic of the microbiome interesting this week and learned something and have a book recommendation and think about your own diet and what you're eating. But it's a really interesting topic, so I highly encourage if you are interested to check out our, our sources um, that we cited here and, and kind of go from there as a springboard to do your own investigative research into the microbiome. So thank yes. you for joining us today. Uh, just as a reminder, this was Christiane. I'm Raquel. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for joining us on Insufficient Facts today, and we hope you'll join us next time. To keep up with our show, follow us on social media. We are at Insufficient Facts on Instagram and Facebook and at INF Pod on Twitter. For bonus content, merch, and to find out how to get our episodes early, visit our website at insufficientfacts.com. There, you can also find our sources for this episode and additional research for the topics we discussed today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you'll join us next time. This episode was brought to you by Super Ordinary. To listen to their show, visit their website at superordinarypod.com. And now, please enjoy a sneak peek of the show. If you're listening to this, you're one of many lucky reporters about to get the scoop of the century. You're welcome. Look, you all know who I am. This is your resident supervillain coming at you from an undisclosed location. And I think it's time everyone got a chance to hear my side of the story, sans news propaganda, don't you? I was 16 when I had the first panic attack that I can remember. You definitely don't see them coming, and you in no way, shape, or form asked for it. It closes up your chest, convinces you there's not an ounce of oxygen in the room. Your vision tunnels in. Everything sounds far away. Swell, um, it's terrifying. Hey, 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 hey. Hey. Okay? You okay? It's okay. I'm right here. I'm right here. Just breathe.
You want me to turn this off? <sighs> See? I told you, it was definitely me that caused it, not some freak accident. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that now. And? And that was so cool! I can't believe you have superpowers! Super Ordinary is coming September 2018. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SuperOrdPod.